Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of the Asian Tales. These conversations are meant to highlight, share, and educate us on the Asian community and culture. It's a space where we can share our life's journey with the experiences and realizations we've made along the way and become a beacon for individuals to look towards. Today's guest is the founder of the Miss Asian Global Pageant, Rose Chung. She shares her own journey through pageantry as a former Miss Chinatown USA and how she's created a pageant that strives to provide opportunities of success. Join us as Rose Chung shares her tale. Hello, Rose. Welcome on to the Asian Tales podcast. I'm so glad to have you on here. It's my great pleasure to be interviewed by you, Diamond. I'm so excited that you've started a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Rose, for our listeners, could you please give a little introduction of yourself? Okay. I'm the founder of Miss Asian Global Pageant. I'm a native San Franciscan, grew up there, and just recently retired, I would say last June, but I still feel like I'm very active and still very involved in the community. And I just am so excited about our future ahead because with the COVID and everything like that, I, I learned a lot. I continue to learn. What ethnicity are you, Rose? I'm Chinese. Nice. Chinese, Cantonese. Mm -hmm. Are you first generation Chinese? Second generation? First generation. Mm -hmm. First generation Chinese. I was born in Chinese hospital, the same hospital as Bruce Lee. That's awesome. That's really awesome. (laughs) It is. That's something that we're really proud of. And, you know, he's coming back and, you know, it turns out that he was such a great philosopher and have, you know, uh, influenced a whole new generation. Yeah. Yeah. So have you always lived in San Francisco your whole life? Yes. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to bring you onto the show because you created Miss Asian Global. You were like the pioneer for that Asian pageantry. I would love to talk more about this with you. Surely. Let's go with your history with pageantry. When did you get involved with pageantry? Well, you know, growing up in San Francisco, Chinatown, my life was very sheltered. I'm the youngest of five girls. My mom became a widow when I was three years old. So I'm the youngest of five girls. And our life is just like very sheltered. I just went to, you know, American school, uh, Chinese school, and, you know, hung around the Chinese community. And our annual event that was the biggest deal was really the Miss Chinatown USA pageant during Chinese New Year. That was my world anyway. So that was my dream to become Miss Chinatown USA. Thought I would become Miss Chinatown USA, but I did. And just surprisingly, I'm, I'm still involved in pageantry. And, and I just find it this great opportunity to give this experience to other women. Although it's greatly changed since from when I participated in pageants. So you said you're the youngest of five sisters? Yes. Uh huh. That's a lot of girls. You know what? In my generation, though, you know, people had, you know, people have like five to seven kids, believe it or not. But you know what? My my father passed away, and you know, I'm sure he would have gone for a boy if you know if he hadn't passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, your mom had to deal with raising five girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To talk about woman warrior, you know, in those days, they didn't have services or anything. She just had to struggle by herself. So, you know, she had a really hard life and, you know, there wasn't anyone to give her um, support, you know, and encouragement or anything like she just had to, you know, survive herself. Mm-hmm. She came from China? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And so her and your dad, they were they married in China or they met in the States and, and then oh, had no. a family? Like, uh, he was, I think he was here since when he was 15 years old. And the normal thing was to go back to China to get married and come back. So I think he got married like in 1947, had a daughter in 1948, came back to the United States and, you know, continued living here. So in that generation, that's, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, can, he came back here and continued having more girls. <laughs> yes. So did your sisters compete in pageantry as well? Did they also want to participate in Miss Chinatown? I don't think so. They just didn't have the confidence. You know how the younger one gets mm-hmm. away more and, you know, would dream outside the box? With my mother's limited resources, you know, she was more like scared and just hoping that, you know, we would still, we would live that simple life of, you know, finding the right husband and, you know, have more kids. That's what she had hoped for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you entered Miss Chinatown, the pageant, and you won. You won. You became the queen, right? And then yes. what happened afterwards? Did you just take the reins and you're like, there's not enough representation in beauty pageants? Or what, what were you thinking after your title? Well, what it is is that, you know, prior to the pageant, um, I didn't have much exposure to the community at all. I wanted to, but my mother growing up always said no to everything. So I had this great desire that I really wanted to volunteer for you know, anything, but my, mm-hmm. I went, my mom wouldn't let me go out the house. So after I became Miss Chinatown, I got to volunteer with various community organizations, and then you get asked to volunteer more. It was just my interest to serve the community and really giving back. Mm-hmm. So what it is, is that before I ran into Miss Chinatown pageant, there was this small pageant called Rose Ball Pageant by the Chinese, uh, Bay Area Chinese Student Alumni Association. I participated in that pageant to get experience for the big deal of Miss Chinatown USA pageant. And that was kind of like a homecoming queen pageant for the Chinese community. So I was the first runner up. Then they sponsored me for the Miss Chinatown USA pageant. And after I won, I got to help that organization and thus my activities of uh, volunteering for various organizations began. And I just couldn't get enough of it. So I helped to organize the Bay Area Chinese Student Alumni Association Rose Ball pageant that I participated in. And then in 1985, someone had asked me to uh, coordinate the Miss Asian California pageant that was going to be in Santa Clara County Fairgrounds. And so I jumped on that opportunity and that's how it began. That started the Asian Arts Festival. And that festival is no longer in existence, but, you know, Miss Asian pageant survives. Yeah, yeah. So it was initially Miss Asian California. You came on board to help out and then you transformed it into something bigger. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, so then later in, uh, I think, 1990, it was Miss Asian America. And then that went on until, I think, was it 2014 that we called it Miss Asian Global Pageant? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That we greater reach. So that's where it started out in that Asian Arts Festival. But that was a crazy festival because the group that asked me to help to put on the pageant gave me the opportunity, or I was stuck coordinating the whole festival. And yeah. Uh, that gave me a lot of confidence because it's sort of called trial by fire and you just learn how to use your survival instincts when you realize that you're the main person who can coordinate everything. So we had a parade. We had like 50 booths in the festival. We had entertainment. There was bingo. That's a big event to coordinate. That's a really large event. 
you know what, when you're young and naive, you think you can do everything and don't realize that you can't do it. Yeah. You don't so, realize that you actually need a team to delegate all those things to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. Did you get any pushback trying to transform Miss Asian California to Miss Asian America? Because I feel like in California, we're pretty known for having a large Asian population. So when you want to expand to the rest of the states in the United States, I don't necessarily think of Texas as submitting a candidate for Miss Asian America. Does that make sense? So did you ever have pushback trying to transform Miss Asian California? No, 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 not at all. So, you know, Texas has a Miss Asian Texas pageant. Hawaii has a Miss Chinatown pageant. So they sent representatives for our our pageant. We always just kind of like, there are thousands and thousands of pageants in the United States. Each organizer runs it the way they want to. I ran the pageant the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And it it was just so like, if, if you have the pageant and people come to participate, then great. I didn't, never got any pushback. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's important to have a separate category for Asian pageantry? Why not just have it all Miss America? What do you, do you think it's important to have Miss Asian America, a separation for the category for the Asian population? Oh, you know, at that time, yes, we did because, you know, um, Asians didn't win in the Miss America pageant at that time. Mm-hmm. And I really think that our pageants are more interesting. We appreciate the cultural aspect of it. Yeah, I loved, I wish, you know, this year, obviously, it was virtual, but I loved the traditional costumes and stuff watching previous years. All the girls walk around in, in their ethnic costumes and everything. It's so beautiful and so grand. Yes, that's the signature highlight of our pageant. Was that part of Miss Asian California as well, that event? You know what? I think it was the first three years, actually. The delegates didn't come out in the ethnic costume. They actually came out in a formal dress because at that time, I realized that a lot of the candidates didn't have their ethnic attire. Yeah. So they didn't come out in that. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that because I am half Japanese, but I don't have any Japanese attire. And I feel like that portion, that event is such a great, I don't want to call it an excuse because it's not an excuse, but it's such a great opportunity to just dress up in it because my family doesn't have any ethnic Japanese wear. So having that opportunity to fully clothe yourself in all of the Japanese clothes and ethnic clothes, it's just amazing. It's really amazing. Well, I think that's, yeah, part of the fun of participating in the pageant because some delegates like yourself want to go to explore their, you know, their cultural background. So having that costume and stuff, it just kind of gives you a, you know, have more pride in your identity. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So then in, you said in 2014, Miss Asian America turned into Miss Asian Global. What led you to switch that to open it up to other places? It was just that, just want to have more delegates globally so that anybody could participate in our pageant. Mm -hmm. Definitely more exposure to some of the smaller Asian countries as well, I think. Right. I feel about our pageant really is at this stage as how it has evolved is that we really want to make a positive impact in our delegates' lives. I mean, like over 35 years, you know, a lot of things have changed because when I participated in in the pageant before or in the beginning, it was hard to find women who were confident enough to come out on stage to just even participate in the pageant. It required a lot of courage. But nowadays, I, I think the women have the confidence, but it's whether they want to 
participate in a pageant or not, to be more relevant, you know, what do we offer our delegates? And that is to actually focus on what their career goals are. This year, Miss Asian Global was held virtually. How did you feel about that? What was your opinions on it? For the first time, I thought it was really great. We did the best with what we had and what we knew. And, and you know, we have such a phenomenal dedicated team who saw it through. As you remember me kind of repeating, we're doing it for the first time when we're just all learning together. You know, I could see that COVID was going to last a long time. If we didn't do it, we would definitely lose some momentum. So I knew that, you know, uh, learning to do a virtual event was definitely necessary. Were you worried that this year there wouldn't be a pageant at all? I was not worried at all. You knew it was going to happen one way or another. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, you know how it is, like when you feel strongly about something, you know that if you want to get something done, you'll make it happen one way or another because you just know that you're going to find the right people who who can make it happen. Yeah. Where do you see Miss Asian Global going in the future? Pageantry has definitely evolved and even, you know, after doing it for 35 years, I'm really more into more of like Imagine Talks now because I think that really makes a more positive, significant impact to women. So as far as pageantry is, you know, I think it's beautiful, it's cultural, and it's a very joyful experience. And there's a bonding among delegates and everything. You know, I really don't know what else, but I'm going to leave it to the next generation of leaders to figure it out. You know, like before, when I was younger, when I first started out the pageant, I just knew that I was going to improve it from year after year, you know, improve at least 10% a year. But, you know, I always actually improved at least 20 to 30% a year, whether it's the wow factor or something something, you know, and we had such a great team. I kind of hit that point where, you know, I'm not sure what direction, uh, especially because we also have this COVID. And and I just think like, if there are delegates who want it the traditional way we had it, happy to do it. And I'm sure that we have a team who will produce it, but I'm going to leave it to the next generation of leaders because I think that they have technical tools, have the the new ideas, and I'm ready to support whatever they want to do. Miss Asian Global has an additional program with it called Imagine Talks, which gives the girls an opportunity to have like a, I guess the best way you could describe it is like a TED style talk. It's Yes, it's um, Asian focused. So actually it started out through our pageant. So Francis, as you know, is our leadership director for Miss Asian Global Pageant, and he's been helping us for many years. And one time after our an event that our pageant had, we were talking about something similar to a TED Talk, and that's how you know the idea came about. As you know, Francis Kong is the founder of Edge Interns. So this was a collaboration of the Edge Interns and Miss Asian Global Pageant. Imagine Talks is really Asian focused. What do you mean by that? Most of the participants who attend are Asians. The people who participate, who benefit from Imagine Talks, they can be anybody, male, female, of all ethnicity. But when we started out, most of the people who participated, as a matter of fact, maybe it was 99% Asian. But as it evolves, we welcome everybody, but it's mostly Asians who participate. The young women that place within the Miss Asian Global pageant also have an opportunity to come on stage and talk too. Is this correct? Well, it's not all the time or guaranteed or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's like whether they have a story to tell that would benefit the audience, Mm -hmm. that it would be of interest to them. So it's not automatic, but I would say that because our delegates are, they um, many of them have a rich story to share where lessons can be learned and that people could 
you know, when they hear their story or hear their background, they will become inspired. We also want to provide that opportunity to our delegates to speak publicly. And in fact, you know, a few of them have gone on to, you know, become better public speakers, starting a podcast or become speakers elsewhere. So it's kind of like a little bit of like um, providing that opportunity for them to have some real platform to express what they believe in or their life experience. I'm going to bring the conversation back a little bit to when you won Miss Chinatown, because something you've just said just made me think of this question. When you won, Mm -hmm. and in general, beauty queens or or women who were in pageants were sort of, on one hand, they were treated like, oh, you won a beauty pageant. But on the other hand, there was sort of this negative aspect, like, oh, you're just some beauty queen, almost like a a bimbo, which is such a bad word to to use. And I feel like being an Asian beauty queen, did you ever feel like you were like fetish fetishized what's the word fetishized fetish size yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what for myself I guess it was probably out there but I didn't focus on it you know how you focus on something then you feel it and then with just quite overwhelming you know that's what you think that it is but mm-hmm. I didn't I just didn't focus on that part from my aspect you know I was just uh, providing an experience to women who really uh, you know embrace that opportunity to be out in public to put out their message now if you say that do I have you know, people who were more like in the vanity part of it, who perhaps wasn't really a leadership substance or something like that. Yeah, you know, there were, but I feel like we've changed our pageant for the delegates who participate in our pageant really are seeking a platform to express what is important to them and to change the mindset of people of what, you know, women in pageantry are. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I think that was one of my interview questions to become a delegate on there was what's your opinion on beauty pageants and pageantry. And I think if you're not involved with the world or the community of beauty pageants, the Mm -hmm. media itself doesn't paint it in a very beautiful picture. You're right, because a lot of uh, people who are in, you know, broadcasting or something like that, or, you know, they say, oh, they had to hide that part that they were a um, beauty queen before or something like that. It just offers so much opportunity, you know, for public speaking, thinking on your feet, or walking with toys. I saw, uh, gosh, maybe it was Miss Universe one of their practice questions, I think the host was saying, oh, ladies, you need to be careful because your next votes are coming from your pageant sisters who are no longer in the competition. And then and then the host went on to make a comment like, so you better rethink about hiding their shoes or stealing their makeup or something like that. And this was in like 2018 or something like that. And I was like, you're giving the girls a really bad picture, a really bad image for the girls that are still competing, for the girls who have made it into the top 10, top five or whatever. Now you're saying like, oh, hope you didn't steal their shoes as in implying that that's what it's like. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying where there's that competitiveness and petty jealousy and all this and that. But you know, I think it is, I think, you know, that hosts have to be entertaining. So he sacrificed the dignity of the pageant to tell and it came up with that. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Because I, mm-hmm. I felt all of the girls, and at least in my delegate group, everyone was super nice, very supportive. If I couldn't find a dress, and I live in Australia, and a few of the girls were like, we've got cousins in Australia, like, we'll, we'll link you together. Maybe you could borrow one of their dresses. You know, like, everyone was so nice. 
well, you know what, pageantry is really big. Does that happen, actually happen? You know, I, I think it, it may in other pageants, you know, there's thousands of pageants out there and there's different standards, different qualities. But, you know, for our pageant, that's one thing I really focused on that, you know, to keep it a healthy competition. Well, Rose, we're coming towards the end of the interview. I want to just wrap it up with one final question. What advice would you give to any young Asian woman who really wants to step out of her comfort zone, whether it's to apply for a beauty pageant or to just be confident in herself? What sort of advice would you give? You know what? Just follow your heart. Always just learn anything and everything. You don't know when it's going to come in handy and, you know, enjoy the adventure. Embrace your failure as a learning lesson. That's what, that's my advice. Thank you so much, Rose, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Asian Tales podcast releases new episodes the 1st and 15th of every month, sometimes the 2nd and 16th. Before I say goodbye, I have a few announcements for the show. First, there will be a new mini episode released once a month after the 16th of every month. Second, if you're interested in coming on the show and sharing your tale or you want to educate on a piece of your culture, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram at DiamondRipka. That's at D-I-A-M-O-N-D-R-Y-P-K-A. And lastly, if you'd like to support the channel in a monetary fashion, you can do so by heading over to anchor.fm forward slash the Asian Tales podcast forward slash support. Support options range from 99 cents to $9.99. I'll link it in the episode description. As always, I thank you for listening and I will catch you next time.